emphasis on these regathering times, as I said. So, of course, our primary an appointment with God we share is these, these times in worship every Sunday morning at 1015. And then next week as we gather for a, a cookout and a time together to fellowship and enjoy some, uh, some games and, and time indoors and outdoors, we want to welcome you to be a part of that and uh, join with us in, uh, in sharing in what we share together in a shared mission in the body of Christ. Now, just before our boys and girls go to their class, we're going to hold them just a moment more here. You can turn in your Bible in the pews. We're going to do a reading together. We haven't done this in quite a while from the copy that's in the back of the pews. It's the New King James Bible, not quite as familiar to most people today because most of us are using ESV, NIV, and others. But for unison's sake, I'd like to read together on page, uh, page number 1392, 1392. We're going to take a snippet from uh, the middle part of this message today because we're going to be coming back to the theme verse. I want to ask you to read with me a part you'll hear a little bit more later in the message, but it is in 1 Peter chapter 2, and it is verse 12 through 17. Now, this gives us an opportunity to apply the truth we're looking at today, which is speedy sojourning servants. We'll be talking about why that is so vital. It has to, the speedy part, by the way, has to do with our minds, getting our minds ready to be responsive. You might even put it in terms of attentiveness. Uh, how many of you know there's a real attention span crisis in our country today? <laughs> and it's, it's not just kids. It's, it's across the age spectrum. Our attention spans have been severely uh, impacted by, by the way we receive information. But we're going to read together on page 1392, and I'll ask you to stand together for the reading of God's Word in 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 12 through 17. Let's read this aloud together. Having your conduct honorable among the Gentiles, that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may, by your good works, which they observe, glorify God in the day of visitation. Therefore, Submit yourselves to every ordinance of man for the Lord's sake, whether to the king as supreme or to governors as to those who are sent by him for the punishment of evildoers and for the praise of those who do good. For this is the will of God, that by doing good you may put to silence the ignorance of foolish men, as free, yet not using liberty as a cloak for vice, but as bond servants of God, honor all people, love the brotherhood, fear God, honor the king. Boys, is this powerful, punchy, punchy commands, aren't they? And let me pause and make two quick comments before we have our kids' church. One is that this is one side of the civil um, response of a Christian in civil society. The other side of it is Acts 5.20 that says we must obey God rather than men. And there's a very important balance in how that is applied in the life of a Christian. It's not absolute obedience to all, all civil authorities. However, we're in a crisis today where so much disrespect and dishonor is being applied to all aspects of leadership that there's a crisis of understanding the basic Christian character. And that's what we see today about the sojourners. And then look back with me at this verse, verse uh, 16. Remember 
Actually, let's, let's take a little piece out of the end of verse 12, the last half of verse 12, that when they speak against you as evildoers, read this last half once again, that they may, by your good works, which they observe, glorify God in the day of visitation. Now, this is telling us God has great things in store for his people. And every act we take as worshipers, as followers of Jesus, giving, serving, reaching out in the love of God, dealing with stress, dealing with problems, all of these things are part of training us to expect great things from God. The day of visitation, ultimately, is when Jesus returns. And we're going to see that again in chapter 1. But it is accented as a reminder, God is always getting us ready for the better thing. Now, I know for sure one thing, God's getting boys and girls at Liberty Church ready for the better thing, because the better thing is down the hall in just a moment here. And so we are grateful for the teachers and all those who lead our boys and girls, and for each of you that join us today. And thank you. You may be seated. Thank you so much. So speedy sojourners who serve. This is a conclusion of our Servant of God series this month. And remember that the, um, the keynote, if you will, uh, because we want to return to that here for a moment, the keynote of this series this month has been a very compelling statement about Jesus. And that statement is that Jesus Christ chose to serve. He chose to serve people who he knew would ultimately turn their backs on him. And, and when we think of that, the meaning of that, the significance of that, it is really striking when we come now back to 1 Peter chapter 1. Our reading today um, in unison was in chapter 2. But we're now drawing together these themes in the exile epistle. I think of 1 Peter as the exile epistle, and we'll see why in a moment. And as we think about what this means, first, I'd like to direct your attention in 1 Peter chapter 1 to the, um, to the eighth verse. Now, here we are in a passage of Scripture that helps us realize why that serving vision we talked about is so vital. What we looked at in these messages is that excellence begins with serving. And that introduces a different kind of serving. Now, what I sought to do uh, two weeks ago when I talked to you about sharpening our serving vision was to take the word serving out of a context in which it's often misunderstood. That is, we think of serving as something that is, is a demeaning. We think of serving sometimes, especially if we're in a situation where we're serving where we don't really want to serve, it's easy to feel demeaned. It's easy to feel put down. And for the child of God, there's an amazing paradox once we realize that Jesus of Nazareth was the ultimate servant. 
So what we saw in Romans 15.8 is vital background for today. So bear that in mind. And then with your Bible open, today looking at these passages I think will be very significant for us. So whatever Bible you brought, if it's on a tablet or, or in your lap, turn to that in 1 Peter chapter 1. And again, I'm reading from the New King James. You'll see a little different wording in your translation there. 1 Peter 1.8 says about the Lord Jesus. Look at this. Whom having not seen, you love. Though now you do not see him, yet believing, you rejoice with joy inexpressible, with joy inexpressible and full of glory. Now, I want to begin there because we're going to come back to this at the conclusion. What I hope you could grasp and we could share today is that if you look at those words about joy in that eighth verse, they are a very powerful paradox and they'll serve you well. Believe me, they'll serve you well in some times when your emotions feel frayed, when you feel pressed to the edges of your patience, when you feel irritated, when somebody really crosses your grain and you're tempted to react in an angry or resentful way, this kind of joy is very different than fleeting happiness. This kind of joy is the joy of discovering the life of the Lord Jesus himself in our lives as the source to overcome the obstacles of fear and hurt and disappointment and being put down. So again, think of the paradox here. The Bible has a lot of paradoxes, of course. One of them from the teachings of Jesus we know so well is that Jesus says, to be exalted, you must humble yourself. So to think about the fact that when you humble yourself, Jesus says you're lifted up. What a paradox. Another, it's been summarized like this. The way up is down. The way to be elevated, according to Scripture, is to choose humility. These are paradoxes sometimes. And this paradox in 1 Peter 1.8 is like that. And I want you to see it again because... It says, we are rejoicing with joy inexpressible and full of glory. Now, the paradox is this passage of Scripture is talking to us about some of the most um, difficult trials that anyone will ever go through. And, and in light of that, we wouldn't expect joy. We would expect maybe endurance tenacity maybe but there is a quality of joy described at the end of verse 8 and what is that joy based on well that joy is based on the fact that though you can't see Jesus visually amen with your natural eye but it says in verse 8 what though you can't see him you what love him and you are rejoicing because you're believing in him 
Now then that leads us to the 13th verse. Now right in the middle of this opening text, I want you to see this um, because here is a beautiful way to illustrate what it means to be ready to serve. Serving is not demeaning. Why do we know that? Because who could be more honorable, elevated, exalted? Who could be our greater example to us of of the value of serving than the one who deserves above all to be served? No one, no one could possibly demonstrate for us better how valuable serving is other than Jesus himself. That Jesus chose serving as the way to demonstrate a hidden power, or power we couldn't understand or see with the natural eye. So in your Bible, in verse 13, here is what Peter, who learned the hard way about his own impulsiveness, he learned to trust the Lord Jesus in very difficult circumstances, so that in that 13th verse, we read these words, Therefore, gird up the loins of your mind, be alert, and rest your hope fully upon the grace that is to be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. As obedient children, not conforming yourselves to the former lust as in your ignorance, but as he who called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct. Now we want to pair this up as as we do so with Philippians 3.20, a simple verse there just for your reference. Philippians 3.20 says that our citizenship is not in this earth. (laughs) It says our citizenship is in heaven from where we await the return of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. So as we, as we kind of think about this, um, the summary of what we're, what we're talking about, the background, the reason he talks about these strangers in chapter 1, these exiles, the word exile, stranger, alien is used in various translations. This links us then to that basic thing we saw in Romans, that the living presence of Jesus among us is what created a new ethic of serving. It made serving different than we naturally perceive it. To choose to serve in the model of Jesus is to actually elevate everyone in the room. And it is an honor to serve when we realize who is the ultimate goal, the ultimate audience of our serving is the Lord himself. So I conclude from this, I think, a definition that's valuable to us. Serving Jesus is a decisive attitude that we take. And it is an attitude of being attentive to God. The the 13th verse of, of 1 Peter 1 is the keynote here. It's the pivot verse today because it gives us an imagery that helps us realize the value of attentiveness. And I hope to show you in, in, these, in these takeaways here in a moment that there's no better 
ally or companion for all of us in becoming more sharpening our minds, being better thinkers, being more successful in how we think, no better companion than your Bible. The fact that God has given us his eternal word and that we can access it in written form or in digital form is an incredible value that is often underestimated. Why do I say that? Well, there are many benefits, of course, of just basic Bible reading. But one of the, one of the things we often overlook is that in the flow of God's eternal word, we are introduced to facts and truth about the human condition and about human beings as well as what we learn about the nature of God himself that equip us to deal with a wide variety of hurtful experiences in life and to do it successfully. So to be attentive to God is an attitude that overflows from our worship. And a missing link for many Christians today, and it's a crucial time in our country for us to begin to reconnect this, is that the worship that we share together in congregational life is vitally connected to our, our openness and our receptivity, our attentiveness to the Word of God, because even when we are alone in reading Scripture, we're a part of the worshiping community of God's people. We are connected even when we're alone. Does that make sense? We are a part of the body of Christ. And everything Peter writes, think of who wrote this letter, by the way, Simon Peter, the human writer, that here this epistle is being written by Peter, uh, who himself had to learn from Jesus after a number of embarrassing episodes that being attentive to exactly what Jesus was saying was a key for Simon Peter to get free. And it's really striking when you think of the fact how much attentiveness was accented in the relationship between Jesus and Peter. Think of it. We can think of, um, we can think of three examples very quickly. One would be where, where uh, on that wonderful scene of the, called the Mount of Transfiguration in Matthew chapter 17 and Luke chapter 9. You might want to look at it later where um, an amazing sort of pre preparation for the crisis of the cross was set up by Almighty God on a high mountain where Jesus had brought his three inner circle disciples, Peter, James, and John. And they're with him up in a time of prayer in a high point of a mountain late at night. And in that encounter, God brought to them the, the, the living expression of Elijah and Moses glowing as if they were, um, as if they were appearing like, uh, like, like, like um, winds of fire, like a, like a flame from eternity. And when Peter saw it, he fell at his feet and at Jesus' feet, and, and when, the, when, when Elijah and Moses were vanished, Peter said, Lord, let's just stay up here and build three tents, and let's just stay right here where this glory is. Because the reason for that unusual appearance was for 
these three key leaders to learn that Jesus fulfilled all that God had set forth through Moses and Elijah. The law and the prophets all fulfilled in the person of Jesus, but it would require, as he explained, that he first must be betrayed and crucified and beaten and killed and then die and be buried and on the third day rise again. So in all of that pre-teaching of what would happen after the resurrection, Peter impulsively is just wanting to cling to that glorious experience. But Jesus' answer was, no, Peter, now we got to go down the mountain and meet people. So here's Simon Peter in one of his many expressions of impulsiveness in which he learned to listen to Jesus. In fact, that was the message on the Mount of Transfiguration in Luke 9 and Matthew 17 because the final word from heaven was, this is my beloved son. What did he add? Hear him. Listen to him. Now, there are many other examples, of course. So attentiveness is is something Peter had to learn the hard way. And what's amazing is, as Peter learned it, it was a key to him being free. Even when Jesus restored Simon Peter after his uh, embarrassing experience of having denied the Lord three times, in John 21, when Jesus was restoring him, he asked him a question to bring Peter to an awareness of the goodness of God, and he asked it three times, Peter, do you love me? Peter, do you love me? Peter, do you love me? And Peter's response reflected that he knew he was learning something that was going to be timely and powerful, but he wasn't fully grasping it. He said, Lord, you know I love you. Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. But in his wording, he is leaning forward into the Lord, and the Lord is saying, Peter, if you love me, feed my sheep. So that restoring was so vital. Look at uh, 1 Peter 1.13. The word picture of 1 Peter 1.13 is what I'd like to focus on, and it is that The old Bibles, the King James and the New King James and others, retain this um, English expression of girding up the loins of your mind. Because the Greek word behind the English translation is a Greek word drawn from the Roman society in which people dressed as these that I put on the screen did. And, And when there was a moment of haste needed, when there was an emergency, a crisis, how would, one of these, uh, how would one of these Roman centurions or soldiers or, or high executives in the Roman uh, society, how would they move quickly? Well, just like most ladies know who, who have to do this with a long dress at times, and that is to, to suddenly gather up the, the bottom part of that uh, robe uh, and, and then to pull it up, up way above the knees, maybe even hold it way up high, even thigh level, so they could run as quickly as they could. And that word is behind this 13th verse of 1 Peter 1. And it means, it means in essence, get your mind ready to go. It means get your mind ready for action. It is all related to the attentiveness of the believer. And we'll see it's related to our identity as being not of this world, not not planting our permanent citizenship in this world, but knowing that we belong to that kingdom 
that reign of God in Christ that is rapidly advancing. So one reason I'm sharing this is that to serve God effectively, we should never see serving as drudgery, even if it's just doing a menial task here at the church or, or for somebody or in a ministry. Uh, it, even the most menial of tasks has rich meaning and is elevated by the glory of who we serve. And even those mundane, repetitive, menial tasks or maybe unglamorous tasks or just tasks that we didn't choose. Not necessarily unglamorous. Sometimes they're good things, but it's not what I would have chosen to do. How many of you know sometimes we're called to serve in ways it's not what we would have chosen? Can I, can I hear a shout? <laughs> so, so what this is showing us is there's something so life-giving about being people who are ready, like somebody who would gather up the skirt or the, or the, uh, the, the hem of a garment and pull it up thigh level or even higher and get ready to run so that you can do the will of God. It's a picture of speedy sojourners. Being sojourners, living in a land not our own, but being ready to move quickly. <laughs> so this word picture um, is a view to the exertion that the active exertion that all of us are to bring, why? Because we want to give our best for God. And that is what these verses signal. Not just, well, it's a tough world, and I'm just going to barely hope I can make it all the way through and finally get to glory. <laughs> no, the picture is of active exertion in the response to what God has done. Can you take a simple task? Take something like, let's just pick anything. Let's take something like sweeping or vacuuming or cleaning bathrooms for the glory of God because it needs to be done. Serving in a nursery to help little babies and, and be, so that their parents can hear, hear a, a service and be a part of that. Um, all of the various things that churches engage us in sometimes that are not what we might have chosen to do. All of these things, serving in other types of ministries, obviously applies in such a similar way. When I visited the Alpha Pregnancy Center one day to take some pictures and, and reach out to the staff there, um, they said, we just want to show you everything we do here. And we went through every part of it. And in every single room at the Alpha Pregnancy Center, I was reminded there are people lovingly giving of their time, their energy, their money, their, their talents to advance the need for in many cases, why they're serving moms they'll never meet. They'll, they're serving babies who will have a wonderful beginning in life, either with the birth mom or with an adoptive mother, uh, that they would. these volunteers may never meet all of those clients. There is a connectedness that God gives us when we see serving is to bless for the glory of his name. It's true in our congregational life. Do you know... We should, this very day, think of it this way, that what God wants to do in this church is for us, this very day, we could say, there are people, God wants to be a part of this church family, loving and growing in Christ, that we've never met. And he will let us meet them in new ways we haven't even expected if we daily say, Lord, what would you have me to do to serve? I, I love a, a sign that was seen in the, office of an ophthalmologist one day that said 
if you don't see what you're looking for, you've come to the right place. I love that sign. That should be a sign in our church. If you don't see what you're looking for, you've come to the right place. We mean it just like the ophthalmologist meant it. His his goal is to fix eyesight. Jesus is the only one that can fix our eyesight. And we're here to say, Lord, we don't see what we want to see here, but you do. And we want to be a part of what you're doing. So sojourning, (laughs) that's why I say sojourning isn't slow. It's stepping up to serve in advance (laughs) as well. Oh, I'm, I'm not even reading my own words right. It's stepping up to serve in adverse as well as in chosen circumstances. That's true, too. But it's stepping up in advance. And what I mean by this is that we step up by faith to serve even when we're stepping into adversity. Now, so let's focus on that verse a little further. Now, look at it in your own Bible, and then look here so you see the comparison, okay? So gather up the loins of your mind. What an, what a, what an odd phrase, gather up the loins of your mind. That doesn't, that, that doesn't resonate very well with the American uh, vernacular but because we don't think in those terms. But here's, here's, a, here's a couple of insights from a, an excellent translation, uh, a more of an expanded translation. Gather up your mind. Organize the loose ends. Draw your wandering thoughts into service. Take command of your own thoughts. Now, this this command is given, you see, in light of Peter's identifying you and me in this whole passage as what? Exiles. Now, this is an exile, a sojourner, someone, someone who is functioning in a country or in society that is not his or her own, and yet, while they're there, they're expected to be fully there. This is why Philippians 3.20 is such an important key verse here. Our citizenship is not in the United States of America. Now, that doesn't deny the need for patriotism. We're to be the, the Bible has other principles, like in Jeremiah 25, seek the well-being of the city where I've put you. So there, there, there's a, there are truths that we must understand in proper balance. Patriotism is loving your country, loving your nation for what it is, for the value of its God-given role in providing freedom and opportunity to human beings, which is the will of God. Patriotism doesn't mean you don't see the flaws of your country or the failings, but your patriotism is aimed at the God-given purpose for which the country exists. And yet, alongside patriotism, though, a higher value, a higher truth, is that in truth, in the eyes of God, we are to grow in Christ by seeing that no matter what country we live in, in this national world, this natural world, whatever our nationality, that our relationship with Jesus Christ supersedes all other loyalties. It supersedes even the loyalty to our dearest and closest. We are to love the Lord, our God, with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength. So Peter uses the word exile to say, hey, Susie, hey, Bob, hey, Fred, hey, Jennifer, 
You're a child of God. You've been redeemed by the blood of the Lamb. You've been born again. The Holy Spirit dwells in you. You're not, this world is not your home. You are traveling to your destiny. And that's not just some sweet little pie in the, sp- pie in the sky gospel song. That is a profound truth that undergirds everything Peter teaches about how to conquer adversity in this life. Think of it like this. An exile describes the status of all the followers of Jesus in the letters that Simon Peter wrote. And here's why I started with that interesting phrase of the strangers in his first verse. Because I found it striking as I got to looking at this, that the strangers that Peter writes to, remember he's writing He's writing um, after the great fire of Rome, and he's writing from the city of Rome, and he's writing from a place where the believers are now. Persecution is beginning to rise in Rome, even as Peter writes. And the Gospel of Mark was produced probably within about the same two to three year period. And it was being, there was great effort and exertion given to see that churches in the vast country north of Palestine and to the west, all through what is modern-day Turkey, that they were reached. Go back to the very first verse in 1 Peter chapter 1 and look at it. Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to the pilgrims of the dispersion. Look at those five words there in Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia. Do you know what those were? They were the northernmost as well as central regions of this vast territory that is today uh, divided into seven seven parts of Turkey. It's a landmass that's larger than the state of Texas. It's about 16% larger than the state of Texas, to give you some proportion of Turkey. And and, and it is is bordered by 5,100 miles of coastline uh, because of the Black Sea, the Mediterranean Sea, when you add it all together. Vast territory. And... What I was struck by as I came back into this and knew was that Simon Peter was giving apostolic powerful truth to believers who had most likely originally fled from Jerusalem in chapter 8 of Acts after the persecution that broke out because of the martyrdom of Stephen and they had scattered. Do you see that word scattered? The dispersion in verse 1. They were scattered into regions far away from Israel and far away from where Peter was writing. So the epistle that you hold in your hand, 1 Peter, is was as, as much a gift of powerful equipping to the saints in their day in those vast territories throughout what is modern-day Turkey. Reaching people by couriers. One courier sent to another location where believers were known to be. And then that courier sent to another. And that courier sent to another. It's a picture of the very thing he talks about in verse 13. Have your minds ready for action. They sure had to gather those robes up and run and and speed the message to these believers. And I think the reason that should be significant to all of us is that the point of this whole passage is that this exile, this sojourning, this this being distant from our homeland, sometimes feeling, I'm an alien here, nobody knows me here, this isn't where I would have chosen to live. 
Have you ever lived somebody somewhere where you didn't choose to live? <laughs> I have most of my life. And I've loved every place I've lived in different ways. I, I love Maryland. I mean, I'm a thorough, thorough Marylander now. But it wasn't where I would have chosen to live. So God says there's a value, friends. Not just talking about geography. What about in your job? Have you ever been in a job? It's not the job you chose or the one you wanted. Have you ever been connected? Maybe a job you love, but now somebody, a coworker, is not the person you would have chosen to sit next to all day. <laughs> have you ever been in that situation? Do you see where this is going? <laughs> you see, in fact, it's interesting. The very word sojourning, and it's used in chapter 2 from our first reading this morning, um, it, it's, the very word sojourning in chapter 2, verse 11, is a, is a Greek word that literally means... Um, it literally means the neighboring, the neighboring. Let me let me go to that very quickly. It's it means the uh, a dwelling near, as one who is a non-citizen. <laughs> and Peter's Peter's message in that part of that text is conduct yourselves with fear throughout the time of your exile. The fear here is the fear of God. Be awed toward God. Be aware that it's God himself that will enable you to make it as an exile. Now, in what sense today can you and I say <laughs> that we're speedy sojourners? Well, think of it this way. And read aloud with me, if you could, those, those words in bold yellow. They're not at home. Okay, can you say it with me? Not at home. We're not at home in this culture, but, but what? But we're assigned by God to stay in the culture. Why? To sow seeds? <laughs> Woo! Praise God. You're a person of the Bible. You're a person of the Word. The Word of God dwells in you. You're equipped to stay in a culture that you're not from. And while you stay, sow seeds. Sow seeds in that culture. So why are we assigned by God to stay in a culture that's contrary to God's will in many ways? Why? To sow seeds, to praise God, to serve well, and to honor others. Now, now when we when we get this package, here's here's the amazing thing. And let's now just let's let's toggle back to wrap up here to go. Look at that eighth verse in chapter one again. So let's come back to that principle of joy. So you couldn't do any of this. You, you might say, well, man, Pastor Joe, that <laughs> that sounds kind of hard to me. Uh, you know, <laughs> to have to stay somewhere I don't want to be. <laughs> but let's be really honest. Let's be realistic. Is is it not true? that there are a lot of situations in life where the very best thing you can do about something that's not right is just stay where you are and be who you are. That's about all you can do. You can pray. But sometimes, and you might say, well, why would God do that? Hey, there's a great insight from this and the parable Jesus told about the wheat field where a farmer goes, a, a farmer goes to sow in his wheat field but an enemy comes in and sows what they call tares, T-A-R-E-S, 
in the gospel, it's kind of like, like we might think of it as just an alien, an alien plant that will, that will circumvent the harvest. So just a big old ugly weed or some kind of crabgrass or something, you know. So the, the enemy comes in and plants something to sabotage the farmer. And the Lord says, amazingly, in that parable, that as we wait on God's kingdom and God's justice to come, that the farmer many times has to just let that grow together until the time of harvest. Then the harvest will come and he will separate the tares from the wheat. Now Jesus told that parable as a compressed way to illustrate the vast truth of the Lord's Prayer. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done. Where, friends? On where? Earth as, help me, as it is in heaven. That's the prayer, isn't it? That's the prayer. The parable explains the prayer, and it explains why sometimes, like Peter's saying, you might be staying somewhere. You might be planted in something that's not what you would have chosen. But God is glorified. And 1 Peter 1.8 says, you get a joy that is beyond expression, beyond description. Look at 1 Peter 1.8 as we close this. Whom having not seen you love. I'm going to ask you to make it in first person singular so we make it personal. Let's do it like this. 1 Peter 1.8, whom having not seen, I love. Would you say that with me? Whom having not seen, I love. And who though not seeing him, yet believing, now say, I am filled, I am filled with joy inexpressible and full of glory. There's a joy that comes when you know that Jesus reigns, Christ reigns in his kingdom now. And our prayers and our presence and our persistence and our tenacity to stay in a situation we may not have chosen, but for the glory of God, it can yield incredible, joyful benefits. His joy in you. Let's pray now and thank him for that. Father, I ask today that we could see this speedy responsiveness to life being quick in our minds, uh, getting our minds ready for action, being attentive. Help us, Lord, to see that there is an attentiveness that we, the church, need today. An attentiveness first to your word itself, to, to realize as we open your word you bring to us treasures we would not find and we would not even know what we'd miss. And then, Lord, the attentiveness to your timing in our lives, to, to be attentive. If a situation is in our lives that we know we're called to serve, but it's not what we would have chosen, give us an attentiveness to your timing, to seek you, to praise you, to your voice. And then an attentiveness to those around us who can be lifted up and, and graced by not only the fact that we're serving, but that we're serving the Lord with gladness. Amen.